The Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 121, Stirring the Pot Again with Christina Mattis. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Kyle, what is up, my friend? Hey, Ben, how you doing? I am good. This is episode 121 of the Beer EDU podcast, and I am Ben Dixon. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at bdixonnv, and you, my friend. My name is Kyle Anderson. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at AndersonEdTech. You can also read my blog that is severely neglected at AndersonEdTech.net. I am the author of To the Edge, Successes and Failures Through Risk-Taking. Learn more about that at toTheEdgeEDU.com. It is available on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, through my publisher, Edumatch Publishing. And just because I want to get it out there more, I'm also on Untapped, Anderson oh, Edtech. Right. And then um, I did this one a while back um, in a presentation I did, and somebody said, that's the first time I've ever heard that. My Peloton name is Anderson Edtech as well. So if you're on Peloton, you can follow me there. Whoa. I didn't even think of that. And I am also an untapped, very simple, B Dixon NV. Just put that in. That's mo- all my socials. That's yeah. pretty much it. So, Ben, normally this is the part where yes. we talk about beer we're having, but um, we're just going to be forthright and honest. We are recording this on a Saturday morning. It is yes, not it is. beer 30 just yet. So, no. we're going different this time. So, um, you got just something straight up I, normal, I, but it might be funky. I, I don't know. I have tea, so I am drinking, and it's fancy tea from England. So my uh, one of my good friends who works with me, she is uh, what you would call an Anglophile. She is um, all things English, travels there multiple times, and she got me. I have to make sure I get this right. It is Fortnum and Mason Royal Blend tea, so fancy tea. So that is what I am drinking this morning. And you have... Well, I like a good cup of coffee on a Saturday morning. I, I get up and a lot of Saturdays I'll get up in French press. Today I just did a regular drip, but uh, I got a bag of coffee for Christmas that is from a company called Don Pablo, and it is bourbon infused coffee. So what they do is they take the beans after they harvest them, soak them in Kentucky bourbon for a while. Then when they roast it, it burns off the alcohol, but it leaves behind those glorious caramel and butterscotch flavors of good right. bourbon. So yeah, I don't I don't flavor my coffee with anything like cream or sugar anyway. But uh, I definitely don't have to flavor this one because it's got that nice little bourbon hint to nice. it. So it's it's good stuff. So I'm I'm actually working on my third cup. So if I start bouncing off the walls in this episode, that's why. I I I switched to tea after my ninth cup of coffee. I make two pots. So I have an issue. So that's a whole other idea. It has to do with ADHD. We won't get into that. But hey, beer EDU pod or coffee tea EDU pod, we have a guest. um, A guest who is, I believe, Kyle, you said this is her fourth appearance on the show. Yes. So uh, our guest today was one of our very first guests back on episode nine. And then our milestone episodes, 50 and 100, was here as well. And we were actually joking before we hit record that for episode 100 that episode was an hour and 46 minutes long but we don't have yeah. time for one of those today won't be that one today yeah we'll be splitting it up so 
Uh, Dr. Christina Mattis is joining yes. us again. How's it going? Hey, Christina. Hi, it's to be here again. Thank you for we uh, love having you on. So, you. <laughs> yeah, we love having you on. And and uh, when I texted you to say, yes. hey, you want to come back on? Uh, I believe the answer was um, naturally. <laughs> Absolutely naturally. No, it's really fun to uh, hang out and talk and just catch up on what's been going on. Yeah. And uh, I, too, enjoy a good cup of coffee. I usually drink it slower on the weekends. Um, and it's interesting that you brought up the bourbon coffee, Kyle, because on the uh, Uncommon Goods store, they were mm -hmm. selling also a bourbon-infused coffee. Oh. So I have yet to try it. You just reminded me that I did invest in some. So I'll be doing that. But... Um, I saw each of you hold up your mugs, and I I'm, I don't know who has seen this in the last decade, maybe 12 years or so. Um, I did buy this mug that says, Deadlines Amuse Me, and it's a custom-made <laughs> mug, not for me, but I was strolling around the ferry building in San Francisco, and they had the outdoor marketers, or right. vendors, artists, and I saw this mug, and I thought... This is a good motto for me. Deadlines just amuse me. Thanks so much. I'll see you later. <laughs> so this is this is my go-to mug. But actually about, I would say, five, six years ago, I had it in the car and it rolled off and it hit the the floor or whatever, the, the uh, carpet, whatever, um, just at the right spot. And it split directly in half. Um, but you can't see it. Ben's like, wait, what? And I mean, thank goodness for Gorilla Glue. There and it it's, it's been working ever since. So cheers to that. It's funny how we get attached to uh, inanimate objects like coffee mugs. And then when something does happen, we try to fix them. So I had, I don't have it anymore, but I had this drinking glass that I always used at my grandparents growing up. It had like all the different Sesame Street characters on it. And my grandma gave it to me when I went to college. And when I was in college, something happened where like a triangle chunk of the glass like broke out and I super glued it back together and it worked for a while, but then it just ended up falling apart. And yeah. it was a sad day when I had to get rid of that one. But it's, Aww. it's funny that you mentioned that about gluing a coffee mug back together rather than just saying like, Oh, I've got 18 other ones in the house. Right. Let me just use one of those. Nope. This, this one is, Truly representative. Even my kids are like, where's mama's mug? <laughs> that one's it. Awesome. Very nice. So you have been on the yeah. show before, but for listeners that were yes. not around or have not listened to those episodes, let's get a quick refresher on who you are, what do you do? And you actually are in a different position since yeah. the last time that we had you on the show. So let, let's uh, get an update on you. Oh, where to start? So currently i well this was a this was a huge pivotal decision in my professional life to make as you know uh, i had been working in schools districts in some way shape or form uh for almost the last you know 20 years give or take and it was about a over the summer uh, of 21 where there was a wonderful opportunity that popped up for me to 
go corporate essentially, um, but still within the educational realm. And so I work for a company called Knowing Technologies based in uh, San Mateo, California, but it is a quite remote working environment in that we serve schools all across the state of California, in addition to Colorado. I believe there's one in Nevada, perhaps. I could be mistaken. And we're looking to expand even more into the Pacific Northwest and and beyond. But basically what, what we do, we are a multi-service company that assists and supports schools in all things from technology infrastructure, the boxes, the cables, the wires, the things, to uh, innovation coaching, and then also the strategic approach of how do you bring everything all together in a cohesive, what I like to call Tiffany's box of, of beauty, uh, to really help schools work as much in alli strategic alignment so that everything is ultimately working for the students, because that is ultimately what we are here in service of. We want to make sure that students get the educational learning experience that they so deserve in whatever mission, vision that that particular school holds. So, um, my current working title is Instructional Strategy Consultant, and I have a portfolio of schools that I work with here in the Bay Area, helping guide them from that strategic planning to then really honing in on what is their technology vision that is in alignment to everything else at the school, because technology isn't a one and done and a side note and an afterthought, it's got to be integrated super well and super tight within everything else that's happening at the school. Uh, and then really articulating the key objectives and then looking at how are we going to achieve those objectives. And that's what I do currently. In in a nutshell, professionally speaking. But you know, there there's definitely more. So before we get into that any deeper, I, I'm just curious as to, you mentioned it being a great opportunity, but again, you mentioned though that you, you've been in education for nearly 20 years. Right. Was it difficult? Like, was there a lot of vacillating back and forth about this is a great opportunity, but it's so different from what I've been doing. So what was that process like when you were, when you made the decision to leave quote unquote education to go into this new position? I think the key word that stands out most to me that you just mentioned is different. How is this different from what I've been doing? And in fact, it's not. In fact, this is exactly what I have been doing. It's it just in a different type of environment. And so what I had been doing previously was truly looking at the project management and change management of technology systems implementations at schools, whether it was for one school or an entire district, and honing my skills on what it means to project manage and what it means to change manage. And there is overlap, and we can talk about that if, if you want. But 
really looking at how to bring something new, how to bring change into a school, whether it's, again, a new technology system, whether it's governance, like a new policy or a protocol that needs to get implemented, whether it's enhancing workflows and processes, whatever that change is at whatever size of the change or scale of the change, how do I help facilitate that in a very smooth and seamless way so that people don't feel that hard hit when that change happens? And so I have been doing that. That has been my line uh, for quite some time, however many years at this point, I would say I could even be reaching at this point almost 10, almost 10 years in that process, in that flow, in that trajectory of my professional life. And so this isn't really different in what I'm doing. It's just I'm, I'm serving a different population of schools. I'm serving a different environment in which I'm executing on these skills. And so, and, and just, and that reminds me of even, um, I'm a big follower of Simon Sinek. I'm a big follower of, of, of many people, but Simon Sinek once said, you know, it's, it's fine if you change how you're doing something, right? If it's not working, change it up with meaning, with intentionality. Don't just change just because as long as your why is your constant if you are truly grounded in your why and you are going to achieve your why then how you do it is can change on a daily basis on a monthly whatever frequency but be constant in your why be sure in your why and ultimately when i heard him say that i started thinking well why am I doing this to begin with? Well, ultimately why I'm here, it's to ensure that students get what they need. I'm here for the students. That's my why. Why am I here? It's to ensure for the students. What am I looking to achieve? I'm looking to achieve that students get the necessary high quality, personalized, differentiated, whatever buzzword you wanna use, instruction, learning experience to help them achieve whatever their goals are, whether it's academic, vocational, whatever path students want to take, how I do it can change. And, and I know you want to talk about that, but yeah, I, yeah. and because, and you know, ultimately, like I've been removed from direct uh, interaction with students for again, almost 10 years. I have, I have not directly interacted with students for almost 10 years. I ha I've been out of the classroom. What I've been doing is working at like the behind the scenes of everything to mm -hmm. ensure that students get what they need. And then again, it's that cascading approach. If this is what the students need, if this is what the school wants the students to, to leave with as their graduate profile or whatever it is, then how are we ensuring that teachers are supported, that the staff are supported, mm -hmm. that the leadership are supported, that the families are supported? Very often families are forgotten about. And so it's bringing that alignment and coherence 
in looking at each of those personas to making sure that they all get, that they're set up for success to make sure that their students get what they need. So like, so you describe like you're, you, you, you're doing very similar, the same job in a, just a different realm. What do you, and it's maybe a two part question. What do you notice like going from public to private? Like what's the same in that, like in, in that moving towards change and like what, what is different? Like how, how is, how is private sector? Does it accelerate change? What, what do you notice? Oh, okay. So to clarify, you're talking about from public institution mm -hmm. work. Having worked for, yeah. So, yeah. So thinking about like, cause I know coming from the public, from a private sector mm -hmm. job back into education, it's like, there, there are definitely like speeds that things seem to go. And I don't know if you notice that or not. Um, yes, in short. Um, it's fascinating that you bring up pacing because we know that with change, with implementation, uh, you're not going to move them out and overnight. It's glacial. I think the pandemic taught us that we are able to move faster when necessity surfaces, as long as it's done thoughtfully and with intentionality. If you are moving at a glacial pace, ask your, and it's going too slow, ask yourself why. Even if it's in the reverse, if it's going too fast, ask why. So if it's glacial, are what challenges, what barriers, what obstacles are preventing from decision-making to happen, for instance, if that's so the case. If it's moving too fast, ask yourself, have we thought about the risks or the impacts and do we have solutions for those? And maybe we need to slow it down to become more thoughtful and intentional before actually executing on whatever the implementation is. So I would say in public sector, even, I mean, again, schools, you've got public schools, charter schools, magnet schools, independent schools, parochial schools, everybody's got how they move forward with things. But in, in thinking about working for a company, um, I'm mindful of the openness for people to have ideas, especially at Knowing Technologies. You have an idea? That's awesome. We're not going to say no to it. We want to hear it and let's think about it. Let's see how that can flourish. Um, so again, it's, I would say moving to, to, to a corporate setting, if anything, what's fascinating is, um, like it's HR benefits <laughs> that kind of threw me. I wouldn't say anything else really stood out as a change other than HR benefits. Like, and again, I don't know what other how other companies function, right? This is my first time, you know? So there were just no. details <laughs> nope. I had to adjust to, and it's okay. It's not a big deal. Like, right. you know, I don't accrue 
maybe I do accrue sick time and, and vacation time, but like it was presented like, here's your bucket. There you go. Whereas I don't know. So no, but that's a real thing, though. I mean, we've yeah. talked about it. Kyle and I've talked about that. Like, you get to a certain age, and I hate to say, like, you're adulting now, and you're like, okay, now I have to worry about insurance and retirement and all that stuff. And so, like, when you go from public, I always wondered that's why people don't move from a public sector into a private sector because there's opportunities. Yeah. They're like, what is insurance? I mean, that's the reality. Exactly, exactly. And, and it's fine. I mean, so I think I'm allowed to say this. I don't know. I mean, it's probably public knowledge, but here, you know, you, your retirement saving, your account, you know, matching and all that doesn't kick in until after you've been with the company for a year. Right. So I have been running the numbers to think about, okay, so I have now not been receiving retirement for what, like seven months, eight months, something like that. I'm calculating what can I take now out of my safety net egg, whatever, and just put that into my existing retirement account. Just do that contribution, not just what I would have contributed, but hypothetically, in theory, if this is what the company would have matched me, you know, which is typically what, you know, your five, six, seven percent or what have you, then um, uh, how could I have that? <laughs> And just put it in and I'm like well it's tax season I need to figure this out but the the shift overall really was not drastic it wasn't it wasn't a culture shock if anything it was just um yeah it was just it was fine yeah, it's funny, Ben, you'd call it adulting that, yeah, those decisions, I think all three of us in the last, you know, year or two have gone through a decision based on that. So I, I look at my retirement accounts right now, because I, I withdrew some to buy my house, and whatever. And then the decision at the time was like, well, you know, some of it, you're gonna have to pay taxes on next year, because it's taxable income, even though you put it in after tax, whatever. I'm like, Oh well, can I afford to do this now? I'm like, well, ultimately yes, because the the closing of the house and the taxes and the the mortgage uh, interest and everything that's going to balance out in the end. <laughs> so, you know, and then I have a coworker that she retired after the end of last year. I'm like, there's no way that this coworker is old enough for retirement. She hasn't been teaching that long. And come to find out, she all of a sudden shows up around the first day of school and she's back. And we're like, wait, we thought you retired. She goes, oh, this is what happened. She had been teaching for 25 years. She's 48 years old. You're not retired. I don't know anybody who can retire at 48 unless your last name is Bezos or something like that. So, But what ended up happening was she was offered a retirement after 25 years and then she got hired back in in critical needs. So now she's collecting her full retirement paycheck every couple of weeks through the Nevada PERS system. And then she's getting a full paycheck working full time with benefits on top of that. So she essentially doubled her income and she's not doing anything different. So I, I told her, I go, if this is something that they're still doing in eight years when I'm eligible, we need to talk because that sounds very enticing to be able to raise my income without really doing anything different. So, but that's not things that most people, especially early in their career are thinking about, but 
at, in year 17, I'm thinking about that now because I'll be about the same age. I'll be 48, and there's no way I can retire at 48. I wouldn't be able to retire at 53 when I am eligible for 30 years. So it's just it's really funny to hear that part of the conversation when you shifted. <laughs> yeah, I, that was exactly. It's like, do I get medical? Okay, you know, I'm good. That's for me. You know, you take a look at what is your moral compass of priorities in in the work in work field and. I want to make sure that, yeah, benefits are there. That's that's huge. That's huge. Uh, you know, having having that sick time, having the the personal time off opportunities, having vacation days, having you know, having even looking at you know what what are the company organization just natural days off, right? You know, federal holidays and uh, general holidays off, you know, what have you. And so it's, uh, because again, I really think about, and this has been, you know, for, for years and years, I really strategically approach when I take vacation days, I save up, uh, so that I can align my vacation days when my kids have their days off from school. I'm not going to go and take, you know, a week off, say in, at, oh shit, when is there, I don't know, no, uh, well, I'm trying to think, August, I'm not going to take a week off in August or September, right, if my kids don't have vacation, because those are the days that I want to be off of work, but that's, that's a priority for me, right, so just staying true, really taking a step back and looking at, what are your priorities and making sure that your work environment allows for that. When you shifted, you talk about the time off or whatever, what was it a drastic shift in that regard? Because I mean, even though you were, I believe you were a 12 month employee before, correct? Exactly. So it probably wasn't that much of a shift then going from public institution into the private sector. Exactly. Um, but I also want to call out, right, like, I want to make sure that our listeners aren't necessarily conflating, like, working in the public sector, because I have experience working at private schools and a variety of different schools and districts prior to going, working for a company. So um, I would say most schools, districts, in whatever bucket they're categorized, have, you know, their pretty standard school type calendaring benefits, right? They're, that's pretty standard. Going over into a company, I would say, yeah, that's where I wasn't really shocked, right? Like, I knew coming from a 12-month school-based calendar work environment that this was going to be pretty similar. I have heard that some of the uh, teachers, for instance, are, are and or anybody who had been working on a teacher calendar that shifted over into not necessarily this particular company, um, but just in general, that was a shock for them that they don't have what they had been used to and accustomed to is those, uh, those holiday breaks when students aren't there, teachers aren't there. It, it's not to say that teachers aren't working during that time because we know that teachers work all the time. It is not an eight-hour day. 
It's not. Whoever says that is is delusional. But um, that that was like the biggest, I would say, benefits change for for uh, that audience going from a nine month calendar to a 12 month. But yeah, that was really minimal for me. So yeah, it's, it's well, been a change. It's been a welcome change. And I think I would say the hardest part or challenging part in general was, you know, I was, I was accustomed to implementing change for one school or one district, right? Even though there were a couple of projects, it was like the one holistic, right? Now, for instance, I have a portfolio of schools and I'm managing, you know, eight whatever number of strategic plans. And so it's eight workshops or times two or three or four, however many strategies planning workshops it takes to craft the document that articulates that, right? So you multiply that or then having, you know, your however many progress meetings times however many schools looking at uh, the strategy review, right? It's not just a one and done. It, we do it quarterly. And so we gather, it's all the preparation to then execute on that. So I think it's the the quantity that has been the the shift for me, but the the process it, it's what I've been doing. So it's it's transfer of knowledge, it's application of. So it's it's good. I'm I'm thrilled and excited. And working with this group of people is just it's inspiring. It's motivating. It's it's wonderful to work with like minded people who are also not afraid to challenge each other. So it's it's a great environment. Well, I can imagine that you're not hamstrung by the constraints of a public school, I'll call it an institution, I mean, insert school district, whatever here, because there's so many times in that environment where we can't do this because we've always done it this right. way or, yep. or what if it fails or what, like it's a whole lot of what ifs. I can imagine in the environment that you're in, it's a lot more of like, what if we don't do this? It, more of the consequences of not trying something out, even if it does fail. So do you feel that the, in your current position, there's more freedom to try things and take risks then? So this is where, it's those two worlds, right? So in the company, yeah, we, we can take risks, we can try things, we no problem. But I would say when working with the schools, I have yet to find a school that doesn't in some way have the same, same issues that another school has. It might be a little bit different, but you know, show me a school that is 100% with its infrastructure. Show me a school that is 100% streamlined and clean with the various systems and tools that they have and the learning platforms and that it's not the wild, wild west. Show me a school that is so fluid with teachers working in alignment across grade levels or content areas 
where there's such a seamless flow that students don't have to code switch, that parents aren't trying to figure out, wait, okay, so you're with that teacher. So it's that username with that password. And you're now you're with this teacher that expects you to have a trapper keeper instead of a three ring binder, like whatever. I mean, how is it's that culture and climate of I, I schools experience the same things. I have yet to see such a unique school that doesn't, that is out there. And it's not to say that it isn't, right? But um, that's where, you know, when when I'm looking, and this is purely anecdotal, I have no data behind this, okay? So don't quote me. <laughs> but in the schools that I've been working with, I, I'm seeing just trends and themes. If I were to do like a multiple regression, whatever stats analysis here, I'm pulling out trends and themes that are surfacing from our technology strategy planning workshops and the conversations that we're having. They're, they are all coming back with very similar trends and themes. They might be using different terminology and that's just semantics at that point. So, you know, get off your high horse and don't get hung up on, on the language. Look at the conceptually and every school is super concerned about it's wireless connectivity. Every school is super concerned about its security and cybersecurity. Uh, every school is super concerned with ensuring that they have the adequate devices, not just for teacher instruction and, and student learning, but also for just uh, refresh cycles and how is learning and learning, how are learning objectives informing the device procurement? These are, this is across every school that I talk with. Um, you know, and right now everybody's really hunkered down on E-rate. Like no school is immune to E-rate. And that is really looking at, okay, so what are we doing with devices? What do we need? In, or not devices, but what are we doing in terms of wireless, for instance? And do we need to upgrade our access points and, and what have you? Because if you don't have the wireless, how can you ensure that instruction can happen to meet the student goals? I mean, it's, I have yet to find a school that has it all together. So just calling out that there's not a single school immune to these types of concerns and issues. So you're saying like like the same kind of issues that were, I, I don't know. So do you see that the pandemic has sped these issues up or people are now like, okay, we really have to deal with these. They were always an issue, but we're going to kick it down the road because it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm, that's a great question, Ben. I would say this is observational. Again, I what do I know? But what I've observed is there was this immediate need, immediate pressure to get devices into students' hands, teachers' hands, families' right. hands, equity of access, right? Looking at do households have the adequate in internet to support all the different devices and users, you know, whoever is at home and what have you. Um, 
which then impacted upon return to the classroom, upon to school, really looking at, oh, okay, we don't have the necessary bandwidth at the school to support all the devices using the bandwidth all at once and, and what have you. So did it, I think it, it kicked it into hyperdrive for sure. But what I'm also seeing is in that immediacy, that urgency, decisions were made without looking two, three, four, five years down the road. Decisions were made for now. And what's unfortunate, what I saw is that schools that took time to really think about the the device deployments and really think about what will instruction look like online, right? They they slowed it down to ensure that there was alignment and coherence and things were done with intentionality. Those were the schools that were criticized. Well, why aren't you online yet? Why aren't you providing instruction yet? But yet when those schools got up and running, it was flawless uh, to you know the best of their ability flawless right but yet the schools that were up and running within 2 days they might have been seeing more issues and flaws and like this this incoherent disconnected disjointed siloed approach um I will totally admit, and maybe I said this on episode whatever, I don't remember, maybe I was just dreaming it, but I will fully admit that I was a parent that just gave up at certain points because I couldn't keep track of all the different teachers' expectations, all the different platforms this one has to be on that platform. This one has to be on that platform. Sign in using this one. Communication platforms from uh, teachers were all over the place. Like, oh, I'm going to post this on, on Google Classroom, but I'm going to post this on Class Dojo, and I'm going to post this in the newsletter, and I'm going to post this on the website. It's like, I don't, I didn't know what to do. And this is me, a te- like who can right. only just go with the flow. Like, I get it, you know? But it really drove home hard that quite often schools forget about what it means, what what their decisions and how they function, how much that impacts families at home. And I would just wait for teachers to email me like, hey, we're so-and-so's homework. Okay, here you go. Like, because it became way too much. It was cognitive over. Right. No, and and that's what we heard from parents, at least in my school. And I'm in elementary. I can't imagine the parents that were dealing with high schools like Kyle in your situation. I got four or five teachers. My kids had one teacher. And sometimes it was like dojo, classmate. Yeah, exactly. The same kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and my frustration as a teacher and as a parent is I'm all for freedom for educators to use the tools they're comfortable with. But there comes a point there, there has to be some sort of template for communication for LMS, whatever it may be. Uh, Case in point, my school district, we use Canvas for our LMS to push everything out. And then we use Infinite Campus for our grade book, our attendance, whatever. 
what it ends up coming down to, we put, we grade everything in Canvas, but Canvas isn't the official grade book for the district. That's Infinite Campus. So then it has to go through to Infinite Campus. So then kids are asking, well, where do I check my grades? What's the best way to check my grades? So like, well, technically you should be able to check them both, but then sometimes you don't get the upload overnight from Canvas into Infinite Campus because when you put something in Canvas, it doesn't just go there right now. It's a it's an overnight, several hour process where it up, uploads. And we're talking for a district of 315,000 students. So of course there's gonna be hiccups with that. And I would say in a given week, at least one of the nights you get the notification that grades didn't upload. So that's frustrating. And then my kids school, they're real good about just using Dojo. I don't see anything else, but then there's pro products like Remind on top of that and then other ones. And yeah, it is frustrating. And again, I'm all for that freedom, but not at the cost of confusing everybody. And we've talked about that on this show. We've talked about it extensively on Sons of Technology where uh, Joe Marquez, he's talked several times about how he always tried to have one thing and that was a website and that's it. You, you can't afford to have people say, well, especially in high school, I'm going to use Google Classroom, but I'm going to use Microsoft Teams, but this, I'm going to use Canvas. It, no, it's, that just causes more confusion. And then kids don't know which class they got to log into on what platform, whatever it may be. And then like you said, Christina, with that you kind of gave up. I mean, how many kids are giving up because they're just like, I don't know what to do at yeah. this point. So they just throw their hands up and they're like, whatever. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and it's, it's, um, it warrants the question of what are we looking to accomplish? What are we looking to achieve? What What's the purpose? What's the rationale behind this decision that you're making? Um, and it, 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 it frustrates me when there is a lack of clarity in that rationale in the how, right? Like I said, if you're constant in your why and what you're looking to accomplish, the how can change, but we don't have the luxury, the time, the capacity to just change on a daily basis and to deal with everything. So there has to be some solid rationale of why you're doing the how, whatever the how is. And I, I think about, um, you know, it takes time for the how to take hold. If you're doing it methodically and implementing that how, then hopefully there will be minimal noise when that how is implemented. Uh, that said, you need to give it time to take hold. There will be noise at, at the beginning and if it's not necessarily working in the first month or two, or you know, it's hard for uh, for people to adapt to that how, give it time to take hold. Just because it's taking time to take hold doesn't mean that it's not working. Just hang on. And as long as you have really clearly articulated metrics by which you're measuring the success of the how, then strategically schedule those frequent pulse checks, whether it's like a month now, three months from now, six months from now, and look at, and it doesn't have to be all complicated, but 
look at what's working, what's not working, you know, and, and measure that against your metrics that you've articulated. I think far too often, you know, as, as much as we're able to take risks of and, and, you know, go forward with some of our ideas and that's great, but you can't, you have to take a step back and plan for that. And, um, but don't, well, and I, I was thinking back to your original point, like that these, some people slowed down, they thought methodically about how we're going to address like their LMS or whatever. And then other people just went a hundred miles in it in. And I don't think, and, and from what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing across the country is there's, there wasn't a plan for a pulse check. They were just like, we got to get devices. We got to get an LMS. We're straight going to, di to distance learning. Whereas like, and and I wonder I wonder if that's why some people that's why there is so much noise out mm -hmm. there. I just I'm curious about that. That that's that's part of it is that. And I hope people are going back and saying, okay, we gotta we gotta slow down and go. Okay, was this the right LMS for us? I mean, you know, you have huge districts like Kyle's district, my district, we're wow. big, and it's like the thought of having to change. You know, you pay you have contracts. That's a whole other thing. But I, I right. worry that like there isn't a point where you have to stop and go, okay, is this actually working the way we wanted it to? Yeah, for sure. And thinking about, um, you know, don't make change for the sake of change. There are opportunities to process improve, but do those process improvements with intentionality as well. And, you know, I, there's, uh, you know, if you're implementing a new SIS or whatever, don't go with a vendor that sounds good or is cool or people are, you know, it's the new, you know, it's the cool thing to do. Take a look at what are you looking to accomplish? What do you need in that system? What's not working well now in your current state that you want in your desired future state? Have all of these conversations before then selecting whatever the new thing is. And um, I think that's where, you know, don't, planning doesn't mean that you're looking to plan for perfection. Everything, you know, things can look good on paper in theory, but until you put it into practice, you, you just won't know. It, it's not about that whole like perfection is the enemy of good. Or, or progress that should prevent you from, you know, taking those risks or what have you. But you have to plan. You have to think about the impact on people and the impact of the change and, and everything else. And um, I know we, we need to start wrapping things up because otherwise we could just talk for at least another hour or two on some, some other things. But I'm reminded of a couple of recent articles that I've I've read. Um, one about <laughs> this really intrigued me. It was like, oh, this like discover like this new mindset of leadership, and I'm like, oh, okay, like you know, let me let me look and like with five key steps, and I'm looking. I'm like, this isn't really revolutionary. It's just a good reminder of narrow your focus. Like, what are your priorities? If everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. Like, sequence your priorities. You don't have to do it all at once. Because if you're going to try to do it all at once, your people are going to be completely overwhelmed. Nothing's going to stick. Your implementation is going to go to crap. 
like narrow it down. Like, what are you actually standing for and how are you going to achieve that? Right? Like do one thing at a time. It's okay. And align your people. That was like another big thing in, in this particular article, like align your people. Well, no kidding. Like you want to have people on board, bought in to have consensus and, and then you start working at it. And, you know, so again, it, it was just, uh, and, and pacing, you know, like at what pace do you want to, uh, to make that all happen? And, it was, it was just a really solid reminder. Like you can't just keep bouncing from one thing to another. You know, if you're goal setting, goal set with like long-term visioning goals and how are you going to achieve those goals? You can't just flip-flop from like one month to the next and be like, okay, well, we tried it. It didn't happen. Well, did it really not? Or did you just not like do it with intentionality and structure and planning? you got to plan. You have to ask hard questions. And I mean, to I think you had mentioned Ben at one point of like, you know, the or, or maybe it was Kyle, you know, what are the risks of doing something? But what are the risks if you don't do it? And you have to answer both of those because that will further inform the decision making process. And that's super huge. And that's super huge. Um, plan. I think that could be, you know, I had so many words for 2022 that I, you know, it's like, what, what was that, that, that hashtag of like, what's your word? And I had so many. The one word. You know, I, you know strategy, think, think strategic, but I would say, if anything, hashtag plan. Know which questions to ask, how to ask the questions, and if you need support, outsource that support, like get somebody who knows what questions to ask and how to ask them and, and to bring groups of people, cross-functional groups together to build whatever that, that change is, desired change. Just play. There is never a good time to wrap up a conversation when it involves Dr. Mattis here, but unfortunately we have to, but what that also means though, right. is that there's going to be a second for, uh, there episode will be. of this. So uh, it is not scheduled out, but it will be scheduled out. By the time you're hearing this, we probably have already recorded part two. So yes. you can look forward to having the second part of that. So uh, normally this is where we go into a nice little learn about, but we're not going to do a learn about when we have yep. so much more to talk about with Christina. There'll be a learn about at the end of the second part. <laughs> I, I look forward to continuing the, the conversation of plan. And in the meantime, yes. before we connect with, uh, for the part two of this mini series, I saw this morning, I could be late to the game, that there's the newly released California digital learning integration standards. And I want to dive into that because cool. that I think is, is going to be amazing. Well, look and, I, and I think that'll be super relevant because we do know that like California is a leader in a lot of things. And I think that that's the kind of thing that you're going to see whatever those are, are probably going to spread out exactly. in some form or another to other states. Exactly. And even the California security standards, I don't mm -hmm. know what they're called right now, but really looking at student data privacy, that's, it's huge. Yes. And, you know, and I would love to you know, for our listeners today and, and viewers today, really think about, you know, what does it mean to have a digital backpack with pre-approved 
resources and how can that help streamline all the <laughs> all the confusion or you know decrease the confusion for families out there and students of like where am I going to go check my grades or what can I use that's safe and secure and not just out in the wild west and so I think between digital learning standards for next time, cybersecurity, student data privacy next time, multitasking, there's so much that uh, we can just keep talking about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like I said, we never have a shortage of things to talk about with you. So in the meantime, while you are waiting for that second episode to drop, keep this conversation going. Share some of your thoughts on today's topics by emailing us at info at beeredupodcast.com. You can tweet us at BeerEDUPod to use hashtag BeerEDUPod. Hit us up on Facebook at BeerEDUPodcast. Uh, you can watch our live streams of episodes there, as well as our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash YouTube. We are on Instagram at BeerEDUPod. Make sure you follow Christina at Christina Mattis on Twitter. And then you can send us a voice message using the Anchor app. Leave us a review wherever you listen so more can find it. And Ben, if you want to be on the show like Christina, maybe multiple times, what do you Yes. Do? Got to go to beeredupodcast.com, click on the contact and subscription info link, fill out the guest form. And then we would be remiss if we did not thank all those people that support our show, such as School Rubric. School Rubric is designed to help schools, educators, parents, and students tell their stories to all stakeholders so they can make the best choices about staffing. So go to schoolrubric.com. Find more great content from educators around the world. And we are also part of the Codebreaker Podcast Network. So please check them out at codebreakeredu.com. There's amazing podcasts on there, Staff Room Podcasts, STEM Every Day, Teachers on Fire, My Ed Tech Life. So many great uh, people out there talking about education, talking about what's current. So check them out. Absolutely. So... Yes, we promise this is going to be a continued yes. conversation on a later episode. Perhaps it's the next episode. Maybe it's down the road a little bit, but it is definitely happening. So until then, thank you for listening to this episode and supporting all of our previous episodes as well. And until next time, may the malts and the hops be with you. Right on. Right on.